You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Another Arizona Fall League season is in the books. Scottsdale beating Surprise 6-4 in the championship game on Saturday. We're joined on the line now by MLBPipeline.com's Jim Callison. Jim, let's start there. Let's talk about this Scottsdale team that put a championship Fall League together. Yeah, you know, they, they were a very impressive club. Maybe a little bit of an upset of the Surprise Saguaros in the championship game because Surprise had the league's best record at 19-11 and had beaten Scottsdale five out of six times in regular season. But uh, Scottsdale coming up with a 6-4 win. It was a little bit sloppy. We had uh, seven errors in the game. But I think the thing that stuck out for me the most in that game, Tim, was the play of a number of Giants prospects. Christian Arroyo was one of the better pure hitters in the league, had two more hits, scored two runs uh, on Saturday for the Scorpions, and he made a dramatic uh, sliding catch on a foul ball to end the game. And he was pumped. If anybody sees the clip, he jumps up, and it looks like he just won the World Series. He was pretty excited. And then another Giant, one of the, the better guys in the league, uh, Mac Williamson, six foot five, 240 pounds, had a – a couple of big two-strike hits, had an RBI triple in the fifth, and then he had a single to uh, kind of key what, what wound up being the decisive two-run uh, final uh, outburst for, for Scottsdale in the eighth inning. And then uh, if you're talking about Giants in the fall league, uh, yeah, I continue to be fascinated by Ray Black, who's the hardest thrower in the minors. And he was up to 101 miles an hour during an inning of work in that championship game. And, and I actually saw saw him hit 104 on a radar gun earlier in the fall league. So the, the, the Giants... Uh, really stood out for me on that Scorpions club. Jim, when you look at baseball in 2015, so many prospects made their way to the big leagues, and, and a lot of those guys had played in the Arizona Fall League. So when you look at the 2015 edition as a whole, how does it stack up to the last couple of years that were really special? Well, I don't think it quite stacks up to 2013 and 2014, which kind of fueled this historic rookie class we had last year. I mean, the last couple of years, you'd look around and you'd see Chris Bryan and Addison Russell and Francisco Lindor and Jock Peterson and Corey Seager. And I remember seeing Roberto Asuna in the Fall League last year, Tim, and then he's pitching with the American League Championship Series on the line this year. You could just go on and on and on, and I think – if we call this a historic rookie class, you could almost call it like a historic AFL class the last couple of years. And this year, well, 2015 didn't necessarily stack up to 13 and 14. I think that was just because 13 and 14 were, you know, raised the bar. This was, a, I think, a pretty solid AFL class, kind of a more typical class. But, uh, you know, very talented league. I mean, you had players like Alex Reyes of, of the Cardinals and Austin Meadows of the Pirates and Louis Brinson of the Rangers. I mean, there are going to be some very good players that come out of the fall league this year as well. The most valuable player this time around was Adam Engel. He's a White Sox prospect. What impressed you the most, Jim, about what Engel did in Arizona? Well, you know, the, the, I think the thing that impressed the most was, I mean, this is a guy who, who's always had tools, Tim. I mean, he's, he's a well-above-average runner. I mean, he's got some strength. He, does, he doesn't necessarily hit for a lot of power. He plays a very good center field. I mean, you look at this guy and you think this guy could have been like a, a free safety uh, playing college football, but... You know, all that said, I mean, Adam Engel, three years at Louisville, hit 265 with two homers, hit, hit 251 with seven homers this year at Winston-Salem, although he did leave the Carolina League with 65 steals. And then he comes out to Arizona, and, you know, he's a guy who's always been kind of a head-scratcher where you, where you love the tools and you wish he hit more. 
And that wasn't an issue in Arizona. I mean, he led the league in, in you know, he was the MVP. He was the batting champ. He led the league in, in hitting it at 403, on base 523, slugging 642, and played very, very well. You know, I, I think scouts want to see if he can continue to do this over a more extended period of time. But uh, he, you know, he started solid, and, and he was the hottest hitter in the league by far the last three weeks of the season. The Arizona Fall League started from humble beginnings, but boy, has it become a major part of player development as far as getting to the big leagues. Tim McMaster here along with Jim Duquette, and you look at the last couple of MVPs in Arizona. 2014, Greg Bird, suddenly in 2015, he's with the Yankees. How about 2013, Chris Bryant, the 2015 Rookie of the Year in the National League. So it's something where these guys are making a quick impact at the big league level. Yeah, they are. I mean, this is really the kind of final piece of their development uh, puzzle and you know every player almost every impactful type player that has gone uh, into the major leagues has gone through the Arizona Fall League in some way shape or form I mean, you look at those two guys Nolan Arenado Dustin Ackley are also MVPs previously that got to the major leagues quickly what they're able to do is they're able to kind of polish off those final uh, tools to make them into skills to help them at the major league level and you're facing off against tremendous talent there's no question it's also a chance to kind of extend your year, correct? You play a full season, and then you're not done a little extra time for these guys. Yeah, I mean, the minor league season is only five months, and so when you're able to go an extra month, month and a half more, that really prepares you for the six-month season that you're going to face in the major leagues that following year or the year after. And so, guys, when they talk about fatigue at the major league level, that month of September, that, that grind that can really wear you down, well, the fact is that you do go through that a little bit once you participate in the Arizona Fall League. So it does prepare you a little bit better. I think it gives you a little bit more endurance when you do get to the major leagues. Now, if some of these guys get hurt during the season, it gives them some extra time there as well. But what do they face in the Arizona Fall League that they don't see during maybe their double-A AA or triple-A season? Sure. So, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, the benefit that they can get to play, they miss some time in the middle of the season. They can make it up at the end. But what they're able to do, certainly at the end of that year or in the Arizona Fall League, they're facing guys, obviously, that are working on an extra pitch or it's something that, you know, they're looking at in terms of the talent, the high level of talent. It's really the top prospects from everywhere. It's, it's the closest you can get to the major leagues without being in the major leagues, really. And I think that's the thing that stands out is any of these guys that perform well, even if you're not performing well there, the fact that you're facing this competition, you're only going to get better as you face more and more competition like that. The Astros used a lot of young talent to find their way back to the postseason in 2015, and there are more prospects on the way from one of the deeper organizations in baseball. Tim McMaster here, joined on the line by MLBPipeline.com's Jonathan Mayo. And Jonathan, some of those players were on display in the Arizona Fall League playing for the Glendale Desert Dogs. Who impressed you the most in Arizona from this Astros system? Yeah, I think if I'm going to pick uh... – one of the three, and they had three guys that I think are, are, are really worth mentioning in terms of uh, offensive potential. Uh, the guy who may probably had the best fall league was Derek Fisher, the outfielder at the University of Virginia, uh, who had had a, a, a good, if, if you know, not spectacular, uh, first full season of pro ball, uh, two levels uh, of A ball during the, the regular season. He's got uh, some tools uh, to speak of, and so this was a good test for him. Uh, still struck out maybe a, a little too much, but drew a ton of walks, showed extra base ability and some speed. So in terms of overall tool package, uh, you kind of had to like what he had to, to say for himself at the plate during the fall league. Obviously, A.J. Reed is the, 
is the big name in terms of the guy that everyone's waiting for. Probably a little bit out of gas. First of all, season was absolutely tremendous. Not only hit in the California League, but moved up a level and continued to rake uh, at Double A. An easy argument to be made that he was the best offensive performer in all of minor league baseball during the year. Again, showed some power, uh, good uh, patience at the plate uh, in his brief time that he was playing in the fall league, uh, and watching him take batting practice was just ridiculous. And then there's J.D. Davis, who kind of showed uh, what he's good at and, and what he still needs to, to work on and uh, showed extra base power, as he did, uh, again, during his first full season as well. A couple homers, good amount of doubles. Still needs to work on his plate discipline, five walks, 20 strikeouts in 17 games, uh, but there is a lot to work with. So the three of them give, uh, give the Astros uh, another trio of offensive prospects to, to be excited about. As we look ahead to the 2016 season and the Houston Astros and the way their, their lineup and their roster looks, uh, could some of these guys be contributors in 2016? I think the only player of that threesome uh, who may see time in 2016 has got to be A.J. Reed. You know, the other two uh, have yet to play uh, an inning above A ball. Now, you know, the time in the fall he can – often act as a springboard and get you moving a, a little more quickly. Uh, I could see, you know, Fisher, even though he only spent half the year at, at the advanced A level, uh, he's going to make a nice jump to double A. And then I could see him moving quickly. But A.J. Reed is the guy I think a lot of people think will be seen. I, I got some pushback when I did a, an early rookie of the year look that I didn't include him on the list. And, and it's only because he's only had one year of Pro Bowl. But because he hit so well in 53 games in the Texas League, I could see him, even if he starts back in the Texas League, hitting his way out of there quickly. Uh, he's a first baseman only, so the only way that he's going to get up is if there's room at the DH or first base positions. And, you know, if Chris Carter sort of turnaround in the second half is for real, then Reed's going to have to wait. But if Carter struggles, I could see Reed being a, a guy that gets called on in the second half of the season to give that offense a boost. Jonathan, the Astros system not as deep as it once was because they did send four prospects to the Brewers as part of the Carlos Gomez trade at the deadline. And three of those prospects ended up playing for the Brewers for the surprise Suarez in the Arizona Fall League. What impressed you the most of that group? I was, I was really impressed, uh, and, and not just by the guys that you, know, you kind of expected to, to be impressed by. Uh, I think by now Brett Phillips, uh, who was the, the best prospect uh, of that trio that went to the fall league as Brewers courtesy of that Carlos Gomez trade, uh, you know, all he's done is hit uh, and uh, continued to do so during his brief time in the fall league at 346, slug 538. Uh, Pretty much everything he hit was hard, uh, even the outs seemed to. And then he left early to go play for that Premier 12 uh, team for USA Baseball uh, and, and held his own there as well after you know, what was a, a very long season for him. Uh, so he just continued to show what he's capable of doing, hitting for average. He's got good speed too. Uh, but the pitchers, I think, Tim, are kind of uh, were, the, were the real pleasant surprise uh, and – you know, any talk about pitching in the fall, you have to start with Josh Hader, uh, the lefty, who's now been traded twice, uh, drafted by the Orioles, traded to the Astros, traded from the Astros to the Brewers. Uh, he led the AFL in earned run average. Uh, he only gave up one earned run in 16 innings. Uh, he struck out 19 and only gave up eight hits. Uh, was up into the mid-90s consistently. Uh, 
you know, he wasn't really stretched out. It's not like he was going four or five innings at a time, but he was maintaining his velocity. His breaking ball was much better. And that, that's always been the, the question with him is his secondary stuff. So he's got a lot more people believing that, that he has a chance to start long term. And then Adrian Hauser, who was sort of the, the fourth of the four prospects uh, in, in that Gomez trade, uh, I don't want to say forgotten, but definitely a little bit more in the shadow of the other guys. Uh, he threw really well following the trade at the end of the regular season. He continued to throw pretty well uh, in the fall league, more of a, of a command control kind of guy. He got a brief big league taste late last year, uh, and I think he's a guy who is getting very close to being big league ready as well. The Brewers are clearly in rebuild mode right now, so when you look ahead to 2016, could some of these guys find their way to the roster? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Hauser got that brief taste, as I mentioned, and uh, but it was only uh, you know a, a quick relief outing, tip of the cap kind of thing for a job well done. Uh, I think he probably has some value now as a back-end starter uh, if, uh, if he gets a shot there. I think Josh Hader has pitched his way into their plans uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, I, I could see that if they, if they really wanted to, to start him uh, down in the minors just because uh, he doesn't have a ton of innings. He threw 104 innings during the regular season. Uh, maybe you start him AAA, let him get stretched out and start, and then uh, if he throws the way he did in the fall league, uh, I think you could see him at some point. And then Phillips started the year in A ball, moved up to double A, Missed a little time at the end of the year with some injury. You know, he's a guy, maybe you start him back in, in double A, but he's such an advanced hitter. I could see him uh, hitting his way up in, into the picture as well, you know, obviously without looking at, at opportunity and who knows what holes may, may come up because of, of injury or, or lack of performance. But if you told me that all three of these guys would turn their fall leagues into getting called up to Milwaukee at some point in 2016, I don't think that's too far-fetched. The Colorado Rockies also had some nice showings from their prospects in Arizona. They were playing for the Salt River Rafters. Jonathan, talk about some of the Colorado players who impressed in Arizona. Let's start on the offensive end with uh, Raymel Tapio, who's uh, you know, a top 100 prospect, uh, talented outfielder, uh, but a guy who had yet to play above A ball. Coming off a, a solid season in the California League uh, where he hit over 300 and double-digit homers and uh, over 25 stolen bases, but you know California League, you take the numbers with a grain of salt. You want to see what they're going to do, and uh, the fall league is really a, a good challenge, albeit a, a hitters league as well. And and Topic continued to to hit the ball well, hit 330, uh, slugged 466 with a, a good amount of extra bases, stole five bases, although he got caught five times. Something for him to work on. And, uh, the other thing that he showed that he does need to continue to work on is his plate discipline, just two walks and 17 strikeouts uh, over his 88 at bat. Makes a lot of contact, but he's a free swinger. So imagine if he can learn some lessons from, from the fall league and, and become a, a more disciplined hitter as he moves up to the upper levels of the Rocky system, uh, he, he could be something uh, for certain. And then a couple of arms worth pointing out. Kyle Freeland was their first-round pick in 2014, and Pretty much had a lost 2015 season because of a host of different injuries and uh, came out first outing of the fall league, Tim, was absolutely just god-awful. Six earned runs and two-thirds of an inning, but after that uh, gave up just two earned runs the rest of the way. Uh, didn't miss a ton of bats, but was uh, better, uh, especially after that first outing. 
people may remember he also gave up a, a home run in the Fall Stars game, but that's a one inning exhibition. But uh, more than anything, was healthy after throwing only 46 and two thirds innings. Uh, so he may be back on the right track. And, and then Carlos Estevez is a guy who's not on our top 30. He's he's been on it before. Uh, a, a you know a relief pitching prospect throws hard. Uh, another guy he had just one bad outing in the middle of the fall league where he gave up four earned runs in the third of an inning. Uh, gave up just one earned run over his other 10 innings and struck out 13 along the way. So uh, a guy to keep an eye out for. Saved six games along the way for the Salt River Raptors. As we look ahead to 2016, Jonathan, can any of these guys go from the desert this fall to the Rockies next summer? I think Estevez is probably the, the best bet. He was up in double-A and mixed results, but, uh, again, missed a lot of bats during the uh, 2015 season, 68 strikeouts in 55 and two-thirds innings, 18 saves of the regular season. So he has closing experience, and because Estevez has that upper-level experience, tack on the the success in the Arizona Fall League, I think this is a guy who will figure into the bullpen at some point in 2016. Uh, the other guys are less likely. Now, if the Rockies want to shorten Freeland up and put him in the bullpen, and there are a lot of people who think that's where he may end up long-term, uh, then he could move a little bit more quickly. But I think you have to exhaust uh, all the, the options as a, as a starter. When he was at his best in the Fall League, he was really – uh, bearing uh, his power stuff down in the zone, and that's what you need to succeed in Colorado. So I think that's a little bit of a, a longer-term you know, project in terms of keeping him stretched out. And, and Tapia has yet to play above A ball, so uh, unless he really goes off in double A, uh, I think it's 2017 for both of them. But Estevez is a, is a guy I think you're going to see uh, at some point in course field in 2016. Yankees prospect Gary Sanchez has been around the minor leagues for some time, but he really took a step forward in 2015, made his big league debut, and then he was back on the diamond in the Arizona Fall League. Tim McMaster here joined by MLBPipeline.com's Jim Callis. And Jimmy led the Fall League in home runs and RBIs. What impressed you the most about what Sanchez has done here lately in his career? Well, there were a few things that stood out. I mean, he got a $3 million bonus when he signed out the Dominican in 2009. That was based mostly on his power potential and arm strength. And as you mentioned, he led the league in home runs. I mean, he hit some absolute blasts. I think he led the league in, in extra base hits and total bases as well. Uh, we saw him hit, you know, he hit seven home runs. He hit another one in the Fall Stars game that didn't count in that total, where he was kind of fooled on a changeup by Kyle Freeland and got out in front and still had enough strength to drive it over the left field wall. So the, the power was obvious, and so was the strength in his arm. I mean, he led the he threw out, I thought it was a misprint when I first looked at it, he threw out 62% of the runners who tried to steal on him in the fall league. And a lot of guys do try to run in the fall league. Uh, the managers pretty much let the players decide when they're going to run. And then besides the obvious tools, two things that stood out were, one, he was very aggressive on the bases, and the whole surprise team was, but I saw him steal second a couple of times. He actually had four steals, and that won't be a big part of his game, but I guess it just speaks to Tim. You know, this is a guy who's been kind of dogged in the past. He has a reputation early in his career for not always working hard, not always looking like he cared about catching. And talked to his manager, Carlos Sibero. You know, Carlos had heard those things, too. And, and he said he didn't see any of that, that, that Sanchez was into it, that, that Sanchez actually, uh, uh, you know, was working with the pitchers very well, that, that before the championship game, Sanchez actually did his own lineup of who he thought should be playing. And, you know, and it was actually the same lineup that Sibero put together. And he said there was one point earlier in the game, it was a Wednesday or Saturday, the days where your taxi squad guys are playing. 
And for people who, who don't know the fall league, yeah, they, they, they keep, keep score. But, but basically, you know, the, the players have to play X amount of time. There aren't a whole lot of moves made. I mean, you pretty much roll the lineup out there and let the guys get their at-bats and, and set up your pitching. But earlier in the year, Sanchez was so into the league, he was trying to get uh, Sibero to pinch hit for some of their taxi squad guys with some of the guys who were on the bench because they were down by a run and he wanted to win the game. So it's, I, I think it, just the, the passion that, that Sanchez showed for the game in the fall league made an impression on people too. It seemed like they made an impression on the Yankees as well. They've now traded away John Ryan Murphy, who was the club's backup, and that kind of opens the door now for Sanchez to make his way to, to the Bronx on a more permanent basis. Yeah, I, I said that's how I saw the trade too, Tim, when it happened. And, you know, Sanchez has you know, only played 35 games at AAA, and he had two at-bats in the big leagues at the end of the season, but... You know, I, you know, he still need. You know, I, I don't think they're going to necessarily turn the catchy job over to him, especially with Brian McCann still there. But I, I could see Sanchez playing a role where he, he's a backup to Brian McCann. You know, Mark Teixeira, we saw this year, got hurt at the end of the year. You know, they do have Greg Bird at first base as well. But you know, Sanchez theoretically could. You know, he has the bat, you know, and he could back up a little bit at first base. He could get some time at DH. You know, and the thing to remember on this guy is he's only going to be 23 next year. It does seem like he's been around for a while since he signed in 2009, but he was 16 when he signed. Um, and, you know, a lot of times the international signees who sign that young take a while to get there. But, you know, they could kind of break him into a role where you could get some value out of him, but you're not relying on him to, to play every day. Uh, so that seems like a good opportunity for him. He's shown what he can do with the bat, and obviously you said the attitude is great. So what does he still need to work on? I think the biggest question people have with Gary Sanchez is going to be the receiving, um, you know, which is a hard, you know, it's a hard skill to measure. It's not like you can really look at, at, at pass balls and, and get the full picture. But yeah, I think that's it's the receiving. You know, I, guys do give him a chance to, to be an everyday catcher. You know, I think you know, if you look at it on the 2080 scout, scouting scale, you know, scouts outside the organization might have might have put a four on his receiving, which makes makes it a very iffy proposition if you want that guy handling big league pitchers. And I think now guys give him a chance to be an average receiver, but he still needs to polish that up, and that'll be his main emphasis. And you know, to that end, I mean, that that's going to be harder to do in a backup role. So so maybe he starts here in AAA and catches regularly, and they call him up in June or July. The Arizona Fall League can give some great insight as far as fantasy owners go into maybe some late draft steals the following season. Tim McMaster here, joined on the line by MLB.com's lead fantasy writer, Fred Zinke. And Fred, let's start there because in the recent past, you've seen guys like Chris Bryant, Greg Bird have great runs in Arizona, and then obviously they've had great value for fantasy owners very soon afterwards. Yeah, I mean, there was a time a few years ago where fantasy owners could get away with ignoring prospects and, you know, go with veterans and just assume that they'll, they'll get a handle on these young players later. But that's just not the case anymore. Teams are getting these guys to the majors earlier. They're having success earlier in their careers. And being up to date on prospects and, and getting those key players right at the right time is really a valuable tool now in winning your fantasy league. And Fred, it's not necessarily those top prospects. I think everybody in fantasy baseball is kind of familiar with the number one, number two prospects in each organization. But sometimes those lower guys are the guys that get to the big leagues quicker. And a perfect example, Josh Hader of the Milwaukee Brewers. He's their number 14 prospect, and he really shined in Arizona. Yeah, and I mean, he's in an ideal situation where, you know, as you said, he had, had a great fall. And now he's in an organization which may have the least pitching depth of any. Like, he's pretty pretty close. Milwaukee has really stripped that rotation down. So there's an opportunity there. You know, maybe he's not part of the opening day roster, but if he gets off to a good start in the minors next season, 
you know, he could be up pretty quickly and offer fantasy value very, right away. And you just never know what could happen in spring training. Maybe he is there on opening day. Gary Sanchez is a Yankees prospect catcher, and they've really paved the way for him with the trade this offseason. They trade away John Ryan Murphy, and suddenly Sanchez may be more fantasy value, right? Absolutely, and I mean, he's someone now we're talking about. is He's one injury away from a really prominent role, and, and he plays a position that has a lot of injuries. If Brian McCann suffers some bumps and bruises next season or a long-term ailment at some point, you know, Sanchez could all of a sudden be a major player on one of the better lineups in baseball. Then a couple of other guys uh, in the Arizona Fall League that are close to knocking on that major league door. A couple of twins, Taylor Rogers, Nick Birdie, two guys that we could see in Minnesota pretty soon. Absolutely. And, you know, the twins have a, a pretty deep roster right now, but not a roster with a lot of stars on it. So there's a, a chance there if, if either one of these young players makes a splash. And, I mean, for Rogers, you're looking at someone who spent all of last season in AAA and handled himself okay. So, he could be knocking on the door right now where he's got a lot of minor league experience at higher levels. It could come right onto that roster when they need someone early next season and start to help out. A guy like that, should a fantasy owner be looking at a late draft pick or is it more of a, you see these guys now and then you think free agents signing at some point during the fantasy season? Yeah, I think all the names we just touched on are free agent signings. You know, you want to have the handle on them when they get called up and keep them on the radar. If you're in, like, a really deep league, an AL-only or an NL-only league, you could, could look at a late-round draft pick. But overall, I think I'd use my roster spots for active players. But you, you want to know who are the guys you really want to jump on, you know, as soon as they're recalled or, or when they're getting close to being recalled. Thanks a lot for the time, Fred. Well, the 2015 Arizona Fall League, another big success for Major League Baseball, and there was plenty of young talents showing off. And over the next few years, we'll see plenty of these players making their way to the majors. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 